Second Corinthians chapter 5 verses 11 through 21 is where we are this morning. But verse 11 assumes that we are keeping in mind the important truth stated in verse 10, what we read, uh, what was our closing out last week. So let's start reading from verse 10. Second Corinthians chapter 5 starting in verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There are a few phrases in this passage that we will deal with on Wednesday during the sermon discussion, just because they go into slightly different points about what is being stated and you know we'll we'll handle that there on Wednesday but this morning I want to focus on this theme of reconciliation the message and ministry of reconciliation but notice what he says in that first verse that verse 11 that we read since we live on earth in the fear of the Lord that is since we live on earth with an eternal perspective, since we live on earth in awe, honor, and love of God, since we live on earth in obedience to God and with accountability for our actions, because we live like that with the fear of the Lord in mind, we take God's word to heart and are diligent to do good. So what does that translate to? Well, two very important things. We believe the gospel message. 
we receive the message of reconciliation and are reconciled to God. Right? And then we share the gospel message. So that which we have received, we give. We share the gospel message. We are ministers of reconciliation so that others may be reconciled to God. We're not selfishly holding on to what we have received and saying, well, I'm reconciled, I'm good, you know, that's it. No, we're saying we're so grateful, Heavenly Father, that you have reconciled me to you, but I want to share this with others so that they may be reconciled to you. So, since there are multiple and significant references to reconciliation in this passage in these few verses, let's break down this topic of reconciliation into three points. The truth of reconciliation, or what reconciliation is. The message of reconciliation, or what the gospel message is and how it is received in our lives. And the ministry of reconciliation, or how the recipients of the reconciling love of God can now, in turn, love others with the same love of God. The love that we have received from God, we can love others. Or, in other words, how the recipient recipients, all of us plural, of God's loving reconciliation can now share the message of reconciliation with others so that they may also respond to the gospel message and be reconciled to God themselves. This is our whole focus. We're not living on this earth so that we can have a big church building or some program. We are living on this earth so that others will come to know God. Our own families, our loved ones, our, our colleagues, whoever the Lord would bring into our lives that we would say, be reconciled to God. So, let's go to the first point, the truth of reconciliation. Reconciliation is the restoration of a broken relationship. You don't need reconciliation if relationships are in great shape. If all relationships were just wonderful, everything was great, you don't need reconciliation. But it's because there's a broken relationship that there's a need for reconciliation. And so it is typically a process. It's not a single event. It's not just, you know, I'm, I'm done. I'm reconciled. Everything is okay. It is a process. It is a healing process. Because we have to acknowledge that there are hurts and sorrows to deal with. When the relationship was broken, whether it was broken with God or whether it was broken with somebody else, there are hurts, there are wounds. And so reconciliation has to deal with all of those, that pain. And then reconciliation typically involves sacrifice or giving up the positions that we have been stubbornly holding on to. It, it means to give up something, to sacrifice something in order to be reconciled. And it typically includes the removal of offense or whatever led to that break in relationship and addressing the root cause. So we're, when we seek reconciliation, we're saying, I don't want to just say, yep, everything's okay. We deal with the root cause. And we're saying, what caused that disruption of peace and harmony? What caused the disruption of unity in this relationship? And for what, in what ways can we now come back together and address those points? And so reconciliation is typically following forgiveness. And we've talked about this you know, multiple times, the idea that there is a need for us to live in love and forgiveness. 
And when we live in love and forgiveness as a constant thing, then we are able to live or to come to points of reconciliation. Okay. Now, the underlying necessity for reconciliation between God and humanity is because when human beings disobeyed, rebelled against, and sinned against God, the relationship of love and unity that God desired when he created human beings was broken. God created us with a specific desire to be in union with us, to, be ha to have a relationship with us. But when we sinned, that relationship was broken. And human beings had no means of restoring that broken relationship. So God in his mercy and love provided the means. Jesus fulfilled all the conditions of true reconciliation. Jesus removed the enmity, the hostility, the alienation existing between God and mankind by his sacrifice. His substitutionary death, his substitutionary atonement on the cross. By doing what he did, Jesus provided the means by which we could be reconciled to God. As Walter Elwell puts it, the point of the reconciliation is that God, for Christ's sake, now feels toward sinners as though they had never offended him. The reconciliation is complete and perfect, covering mankind both extensively and intensively, that is, all sinners and all sin. The cause of rupture between God and sinners has now been healed, a truth wholly independent of humanity's mood or attitude. Humanity may not acknowledge even what the Lord has done, but the Lord has done this. While sinners were still the object of God's just wrath, Christ, in full harmony with the gracious will of his heavenly Father, interposed himself for their sakes for the restoration of harmony. So basic is this truth that without objective reconciliation, there is no thought of salvation, of regeneration, of faith, of Christian life. The initiative in reconciliation, moreover, is all on God's side. Through his word, the gospel, God reveals to sinners that he is fully reconciled with them because of Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 14 through 17 states this, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Romans chapter 5 verses 10 to 11 says this, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have to really meditate on these truths. 
We have to ask the Holy Spirit to solidify this truth in us, this whole reality of reconciliation, what the Lord has really done for us, that we don't take it for granted, that we don't ignore it or minimize it or just don't pay attention. We, we really do need to pay attention and meditate on this truth of reconciliation. And as we begin to meditate on God's truths of this what he has done, then we begin to comprehend, at least in part, the message of reconciliation. And the gospel message is very simple and yet so profound. See, we've encountered that message in various scriptures that while we were still sinners, God sent Jesus to die for our sins so that anyone who believes and receives that payment that the Lord has made will be saved from their sin and most importantly, reconciled with the Lord. That is the gospel message. It's a very simple message. It's very profound in what it's saying. There are deep truths in there. But to be able to explain to somebody what is the gospel message, it's very simple. We were dead in our sins, we had been separated from God, we had alienated, we had been alienated from God and Jesus took upon himself all of the sins of the world and died on the cross on our behalf so that we could be reconciled to God. In Colossians chapter 1 verses 19 through 22, it states that gospel message in explicit terms of that reconciliation by saying this, for in him... Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Fully God, fully man. He came into this earth, fully God, fully man. And through him to reconcile to himself. Right? He's not... Any kind of statement that's ever made that Jesus didn't say that he was God. The Bible is filled with references where it very clearly makes it, or it makes it very clear, Jesus is God. So he, what is he doing? He came into this earth, fully God, fully man, to reconcile us to whom? To himself, it says. Why? Because he is God. And so when we are reconciled to himself, or to Jesus, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Oh, go and read these scriptures again and just let these truths get into you. It, it summarizes the gospel so nicely there to say Jesus came in the flesh. He took all of this on himself. And even though he faced death in his body of flesh, he did that in order to present us holy and blameless before God. What a truth. What a joy. Christ has paid the price that we could not. And by simply receiving what he has done on our behalf, we can appropriate salvation, forgiveness, and reconciliation. We can't even fully understand or explain all of this. We can't even say, oh, this is exactly how it happened. This is the exact details. But we definitely experience in deep and meaningful ways this reconciliation that the Lord brings. And that's the joy of the Christian life. That we have that opportunity. 
And the Lord doesn't say, I've just done something for you. But when we appropriate it, when we step into it, when we receive it, when we stand in this message and this truth of reconciliation, oh, we experience it. We know we've been saved. We've been set free. Look at what first, or pardon me, we look at what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 17 and 21 say. What we read this morning. It says, when we receive the gospel, when we believe it in our hearts and respond to it, when we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior with our mouths, we are made a new creation. The old is gone. And we become the righteousness of God. We are no longer the old man subject to all the things of the flesh. We have been made new. We are born again in Christ Jesus. And he has made us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are now in right standing with God and can therefore be in right standing with people. We, we can't be in right standing with people if we can't, if we're not in right standing with God. But because he has done this, we can forgive as we have been forgiven. We can show grace, mercy, and compassion because grace, mercy, and compassion have been shown to us. We can love as we have been loved. You see, and it's that understanding of the love of God that allows us to love both God and people. It is that love that is undergirding all of this that brings us to this point that I want to emphasize this morning, which is the ministry of reconciliation. In verse 14, Paul emphatically states that the love of God compels him. Some translations that you have use the words, the love of God controls us. The love of God constrains us. But his point is that he can't even help himself. The love of God is like, is a force. It's pushing him. The love of God that he is experiencing, the love of God that he is receiving, the love of God that is flowing through him, it's just making him do what? It is compelling him to be a minister of reconciliation. Because we have been reconciled to God, we can't help but become ministers of reconciliation to others. To compel them to come to God through Jesus, to be restored in relationship with God. Now, we need to more clearly understand that when the Bible defines or identifies us as ministers of reconciliation, we're not actually ministering or administering ministering to people, you know, something that we have, or administering the reconciliation of God and saying, here, take it, receive it. We're not doing that ourselves. Only God does that. Only God is capable of doing that. Instead, as verse 20 makes clear, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Right? We're not, we're not standing with some power. We're saying we are Christ's ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation, as, to, as God's ambassadors to make God's appeal known to human beings and to say to them, this is what the Lord wants. See, the ambassador of the U.S., of any nation, to another nation, the ambassador has no real power of their own. 
They can't declare war or do something else. You know, they, they, they are put in place to represent their home government. The ambassador's duty is to accurately communicate the policies and messages of the home government. When we serve as ambassadors of Christ, we are representing the kingdom of God to the nations of this earth. We serve, when we serve as ambassadors of Christ, we are communicating the truths, directives, and messages of Christ. People are, are eager to be appointed as ambassadors of a nation, right? I want to be the ambassador. You have already been given this incredible opportunity and role. You have been designated as an ambassador of Christ. Not, not of the president of the U.S. Of Christ. You are an ambassador of Christ. So what could this look like in our everyday lives? What are our ambassadorial job responsibilities. Well, if the purpose of an ambassador, if the mission of an ambassador is to represent the home government, is to share the messages, it's to share the communications, my government says this, my government wants to do this, my gov government is requesting this, then that means that our primary responsibility is to share the gospel message. When God provides an opportunity, share the message of reconciliation in your own words. Just tell somebody else of this gospel message, of this truth of reconciliation, of this message of reconciliation. What has God done? And you don't have to even read all the verses. You don't have to know it by, oh, I don't know that scripture, I can't say anything. No, just say it in your own words. What has the Lord done for you? What has the Lord meant in this? What is the Bible giving you as a truth that you can hold on to? Share that. And what that means is that there's some level of preparation. There's some level of where you are reading the scriptures, you are being equipped, you are reinforcing these truths, you are meditating on these verses, you are making it firm in your own heart and mind. What is the gospel message? What is it that I believe? You have confessed it with your mouth. And so now when somebody asks you, what is the hope that you have? Why, why are you not bothered about this? Why are you not anxious? What is it that is allowing you to live in this life with joy and with victory and so on? You are able to say, it is because I have received this reconciliation, this restoration of relationship with God himself. Let me tell you what that means. Maybe you don't even use those words. You don't use that phrase. But you can simply say, it's because God has allowed me to find meaning in my life. Now, related to that, as much as you would share the messages of the gospel, the second thing that I would say to you is, and this is true for an ambassador, don't share personal opinions or preferences. Don't go and say, well, I think, you know, this is the what, this is what you know, salvation means. Or, you know, you, th you have a question, but oh, I think this is what's going to happen. Don't make stuff up. Right? Don't just say something. If you don't know, say, I don't know. I, I don't know. This is what I do know. I want to share that with you. This other thing that you're asking me, I don't know. You know, why is there evil in the world? What will God do for this good person? What will happen when this person who never committed a sin in their lives, they, they did, but what will happen to this person who never committed a sin in their life? When they die, what will happen? Where will they go? 
If you don't know, say, I don't know. But you can very definitely say to them, I believe, because what you're saying when you don't share personal opinions and preferences is rather what you're doing is sharing the character and the goodness and the grace and the faithfulness of God. So what do you say when you don't know the answer to the question? You say, I know God is good. I know God is faithful. I know God is just. I know God is listening to the cries of the people all over the world. I know God will be fair. So I don't know what will happen to this person. But I know God will do the right thing. So you're able to share who God is, not what your opinion is. Well, I think you know they'll go to purgatory. Or I think this will happen. Or I think that will happen. Or I think you know if we pray for them earnestly, then you know. You don't, if you don't know, say you don't know. Just represent the truth of the word, the truth of the Lord, and do that in the simplest and the kindest and the most loving way that you can. Right? Next, and this is very important, don't just be in a one-sided conversation with somebody. I'm here to tell you what the Lord says, and I am the minister of reconciliation. See my badge? I'm the ambassador of Christ. You know, let me tell you the gospel message. You listen to it, or you don't listen to it, it's up to you. I will do my job and I'm out of here. No. Listen. Listen to people. They have all sorts of reasons why they do or don't believe what you're saying. They have all sorts of past experiences. They have all sorts of hurts. They have all sorts of reasons why they are not willing to turn to God. And maybe one of the reasons that they have been turned off from God and the things of God is because of the church. It's because of other Christians. Don't just go in there, guns blazing, you know, let me tell you. Listen to people. Listen to what's going on in their lives. Listen to what's happening. And as you're listening to them, pay attention to the Holy Spirit. Because what they don't tell you, the Holy Spirit can show you. Every single person that gives you some reason for why they won't believe in God, or why they can't believe in God, or why God is terrible, or why God doesn't exist, whatever else, the moment that they say that with their words, there's something else going on in their hearts. Something that's driving that statement. Something that's happening in them that is causing that kind of response. And you need to listen to the Holy Spirit. You've got to be able to listen to that person. You've got to hear them out. You've got to understand them. You've got to pay attention to them. But you've got to be listening to the Holy Spirit. And you've got to be able to say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, show me. What is this person really ha going through? Where is this pain coming from? What is the hurt that really is at the core of this, this statement. And then you need to pray. You need to bring this person before the Lord. You need to bring this care to the Lord. You need to say, Lord, I'm burdened for this person and I want to share the gospel with them. But I don't want to do it so that I can say, oh, I shared the gospel. I want to do it so that they will be reconciled to you. Oh, Lord God, do your work. Do your work in a way that will transform this person, transform their family, transform these circumstances. Do your work, O oh Lord, I intercede for them. I bring this care to you and I cast it down at your feet and Lord, you will be faithful. So I trust you. Oh, come to the Lord with much prayer. This is not about just saying something. This is about prayer.
praying and praying and praying so that we would see the work of the Lord in the land of the living. We would see the work of the Lord in that person that you're speaking to. These points that I'm sharing, they presuppose that the person you're talking to is at least somewhat willing to believe that there's a God who created human beings and that sin has broken that personal relationship between God and people and that now there's a need for reconciliation. But what if you're speaking to a person who does not believe that there's a God or that we are individually accountable for sin or that you know, God can restore a relationship if God exists. You know, that God can ex restore... If, what if they don't even believe any of those things? What do you do? Let me tell you this. At its root, at, at its core, sin or separation from God is about idolatry. It is about the worship of something other than God. I'm not talking even about a physical object. I'm saying something else is taking the place of God in that person's life. And so, because sin is, is taking the glory of God and giving it to another, right? Sin, that is idolatry, is creating substitutes or being influenced to find substitutes for God so as to have meaning and identity in our lives. We want some meaning and identity. We want purpose. And so what do we do? We look for something. When we can't find God, when we don't turn to God, we substitute for something else. And so human beings who were created to love and worship God, when we love and worship something or someone other than God, we go against our nature. And it creates all sorts of conflict in us. So when you talk to someone who says that they don't believe in God, they don't believe in sin, Listen for what their God substitutes are. Listen to them. Because they'll be telling you what in their life is a substitute for God. And when you listen to what that, you will see how is it that they're defining their life and where do they get their identity from? How do they describe their life purpose? Their God substitute could be their career. Their God substitute could be their dreams or ambitions. Their God substitute could be greed, consumerism, materialism. I'm going to accumulate all these things. I'm going to have these things. There's covetousness, envy, pride. But I'm going to be, the, I'm going to die a millionaire. You know, these are the God substitutes in that person's life. It could be a thirst for power or authority. I'm going to be, you know, I'm, I'm going to have this power. I'm going to have this authority. It could be that somebody else Another person has become the God substitute in that person's life, in this person's life that you're talking to. That other person has become their idol. You know, it's very ironic that in the world around us now, we refer to idols, you know, other human beings, right? American idols, right? And when we do that, it, it, we're speaking truth. People have substituted others instead of God as their idols. There will be something that has taken the place of God. So, whether it's in that first conversation, or more likely in subsequent cons conversations, through loving interactions over time, pray for the opportunities to help that person see that only God can provide true identity, purpose, and a meaningful reality for life through God's love, forgiveness, and reconciliation.
Which brings us to our response. We respond and apply the word of God that we have heard by committing to become, by committing to be ministers of reconciliation. I want to encourage you. Don't just let the word be something that you hear, but rather you would respond to it and say, Lord, I, I, I want to be this minister of reconciliation. I want to be an ambassador of Christ. I don't want to just read about somebody else. I don't want to just say, well, that's for the evangelist, that's for the missionary, that's for the spiritual person, that's for somebody else. No, Lord, let it be me. Let it be me. Let me be a minister of reconciliation. Maybe to, the, to one family member. Maybe to that friend. Maybe to a colleague. Maybe to a stranger. I just ran into somebody. Let me be a minister of reconciliation. And help me to do that by your strength, not my wisdom. Not my power of persuasion. Let me be able to be a minister of reconciliation by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we make that commitment, I assure you, I assure you, God will give you opportunities. Now, as I say this, and, I say, and, I'll, and I'll even say this, you know, we've got just about half of the year left. In the rest of this year, make a commitment to be a minister of reconciliation to maybe even just one person. Or one person through the rest of this year. Right? Someone that you've been praying for already maybe. Just say, Lord, use me as a minister of reconciliation to this person. But I want to say to you one more important thing. What happens if you miss an opportunity? What happens if God just brings somebody to you? God gives you everything all set up. All you've got to do is say something. They're like, they're even asking you, what should I do? And, and you say, oh, I, uh, I'm not going to say anything. Right? What happens if you miss an opportunity? Just go back to the Lord and say, Lord, I think I missed an opportunity. Help me to have another. He's good. He's faithful. He doesn't bring down punishment. He lets us know that he loves us. I have gone through so many things in my life where I think, looking back on it, I go, I think I missed an opportunity. I think I could have said something to that person. I think there was a window there where I needed to do something different. But maybe I was caught up in myself. Maybe I was caught up and distracted with something else that was happening. Maybe I was afraid of the reaction that would be there. And whatever the reason was, I missed the opportunity. Don't beat yourself up. Don't say, oh, God gave me the opportunity. I missed it. You know, I messed up. Oh, I'm done. I'm no longer a good ambassador. No. You just go back to the Lord and say, Lord, you help me. You direct my steps. You fill me with your word. Let your word be so full in me that when I open my mouth, it, it just comes out. I, I don't even have to catch myself from saying something to somebody. Your word will be so rich in me that when they say something, I'll just naturally speak the gospel message. I'll just naturally speak a ministry of reconciliation, a word of reconciliation to them. Fill me, Lord. Fill me in that way. And if that's how you're praying, if that's what you're doing, if that's the commitment you're making, I assure you, the Lord will hear and will answer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that, Lord, you have called us to be ministers of reconciliation. It's no small thing. In fact, it is the greatest thing that we could ever have. 
rather than aspiring to all sorts of titles in the world, I thank you, Lord, that you have already given us the privilege and everything that we need for life and godliness to be ministers of reconciliation. Lord, to go to somebody else as an ambassador of Christ and to tell them the good news of what Jesus has already done for us. Oh, Lord God, thank you for that privilege. Thank you, Lord, for that incredible privilege. Lord, let us not waste any opportunity. Let us, Lord, not be thinking that it's all up to us either. Let us, Lord, be led by the Spirit to speak to people with love and patience and kindness, to listen to them, to really understand what's going on in their lives. And Lord, as you give us, Lord, the means, the opportunities, the words, the heart, the soft heart, all of that that we need from you, help us, Lord, through even the rest of this year, to reach out maybe even just to one person, to let them know of the love of God. I thank you, Jesus, that you have reconciled us to yourself. What a glorious, glorious reality that we are no longer left abandoned, orphaned, left in our own sin, in our own depravity, but rather we have been reconciled. The relationship has been restored. And so, Lord, every day, in every way, we want to keep building on that relationship. We want to love you and be loved by you. And therefore, Lord, we want to love others. Thank you, Jesus, that your love compels us to do this, to be ministers of reconciliation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.